This is the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Dan Held is currently growth leader Kraken, one of the largest crypto exchanges in the world, based out of San Francisco. His former company, Interchange, was a portfolio of reconciliation tool for crypto institutional traders, and that was acquired by Kraken in 2019, and Dan moved across to Kraken with that. Prior to that, he was at Uber, heading up rider growth and global data. Before Uber, Dan built some of the most popular early crypto products, including ChangeTip, which was acquired by Airbnb, and ZeroBlock, which was acquired by a company called Blockchain.com in what was the second ever all-Bitcoin acquisition. So it's fair to say that Dan has been around crypto virtually from the beginning. He also has a popular YouTube channel where he discusses issues around cryptos, and some of his views are probably not mainstream. For example, he's a big advocate of Bitcoin, but not mad about some of the altcoins that have sprouted in recent years. And he argues that Bitcoin is in a super cycle, and where that super cycle ends is an interesting and open-ended debate. So first of all, Dan, welcome. Thanks for joining MoneyWeb Crypto. And I believe you're speaking to us out of San Francisco, right? That's right. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk Bitcoin today. There's so many, I mean, with the market as it is with Bitcoin at $60,000 of Bitcoin, there's just a lot to cover and a lot of folks, uh, you know, want to get up uh, up to speed with what's going on. That's right. So we're kind of close to the all-time highs again. Now, you've spoken recently about Bitcoin being in a super cycle. Maybe explain what you mean by that. I mean, people holding Bitcoin will be enthralled at the idea that this is a bull cycle that is nowhere near the end of its run. But where do you see this going? <laughs> Yeah, of course. You know, it's um, I've been in Bitcoin for a long time. I've been through three cycles. 2013, the price went from $10 to 1200 2017, it went from 200 to 20000 And now we're on this cycle going from about 3000 to, and these low numbers I'm quoting are the lowest part of the bear market, 3000 to, we're not sure. We're not sure how high it's going to go. And with these cycles, a lot of the analysts are looking at these historical cycles to give us a picture of what this 2021 cycle might look like. But I think when everyone is saying the same thing, that usually makes me want to think outside the box and think a little bit differently. So I came up with a super cycle theory, partially because no one was talking about it, that in combination with using qualitative information on the ground. So a company like Uber and my current growth role, we try to be as analytical as possible. So we gather all data possible, we use data scientists to crunch it, but then there's a special component that's qualitative. And so qualitative is just kind of getting a sense for the vibe and feel of how an experiment ran and the environment that it was running in. And for the super cycle, the qualitative factors here, I think are really, really key. Um, Bitcoin in its previous market cycles, these bull runs, those were largely during a macro bull market. Everything was fine in the world. But in this time, we've had COVID, which wrecked and devastated the economy. Governments went into money printer go burr, where they just printed and printed and printed lots of fiat currency in order to try to stimulate the economy. And this is a very different backdrop for Bitcoin to have a bull run in. You know, with that sort of backdrop, this this truly highlights why Bitcoin is valuable. Before, when we talked about Bitcoin as this, you know, savings technology or a gold 2.0, when the world was fine, people didn't realize they needed it. It's kind of like um, buying a seat on a lifeboat. And now all of a sudden everyone goes, you know what, I need a seat on that lifeboat. I'd like to buy some Bitcoin, please. So that is a very different scenario. And so I think it's really 
not disingenuous, but I think a little bit lacking to not at least examine that when looking at the previous bull runs and extrapolating what could happen in this one. Also, we have a new market participant called the institutions. The institutions are all the traditional finance folks. So this is PayPal, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan. These are huge because they bring a ton of flow to both their own purchasing power to purchase Bitcoin and you know, because they manage money on behalf of uh, wealthy clients and in and, and, and aggregate. So we've got that plus institutions bring social validation. So as institutions validate Bitcoin as a new asset, retail then correspond, correspondingly buys in into Bitcoin, which is huge. There, there's a huge number of people waiting for institutions to tell them this is safe and then they'll buy in. So this was the first time that institutions have been a meaningful participant in the Bitcoin market. And so far, the impact has been pretty huge. What's different about this bull run is that we have a new market participant called the institutions. The institutions are the big banks. It's all these brokerages like Fidelity, E-Trade. Um, it's the big banks like Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan. It's all the big hedge funds. It's the sovereign wealth funds. It's the central banks. This is the institutions that are coming into Bitcoin this time around, which has never occurred previously in the other market cycles. They bring both a ton of flow, so a ton of new investment money that they manage, but then they also bring in retail because they are social validation to retail that Bitcoin is a proper asset. A lot of folks, a lot of retail traders look to these institutions and they trust them. So when they say, hey, Bitcoin is legitimate, that then gives Bitcoin um, much more stickiness, much more buying interest by the retail. So a lot of people would be saying about Bitcoin that, is it in a bubble? Does it have any intrinsic value? And I guess the answer to that is no, it doesn't. It's just really a supply and demand. But this question about the bubble keeps on coming up. You've already spoken about your history with Bitcoin and, and the number of cycles you through. Maybe just talk about the, the acquisition that you did or Zero Block, which was acquired by blockchain. You, you actually sold that for Bitcoin. And then I think it dropped something like 80, 85% or something like that. So you've seen this kind of thing before, but you're saying this time is different. Yes. The previous market cycles, you know, they look Bitcoin going from obscurity with a small group of <laughs> small group of nerdy engineers going from that small group to global world adoption wasn't going to be a smooth ride. It was going to be a bit of a choppy ride as as Bitcoin grows in prominence via these speculative bubbles. Then the bubble uh, uh, busts for uh, momentarily for a few years and then it begins the cycle again. So. Yeah, certainly Bitcoin's ride is very choppy. You know, for example, when I sold my company Zero Block and they paid me in Bitcoin, it's a long time to hodl. Um, <laughs> as you saw, the original value of what you sold, you know, keep diminishing. That's where, you know, Bitcoin, a lot of people were scared with Bitcoin because of, how, because of how volatile it was in the beginning. But that volatility isn't a bad or good thing. It just is what it is. It's what was required for Bitcoin to move from obscurity to global uh, to the global sphere. Um, and as Bitcoin has been growing, that volatility has been slightly subsiding. So, um, you know, Bitcoin in its final iteration, so maybe over the next decade, when it does become a gold 2.0, because it's very much on the verge of doing that right now, when it becomes a gold 2.0, eventually it will become stable and boring. Uh, Bitcoin's core value props are in its monetary policy and censorship resistance, which means I can send a transaction to anyone in the world and no one can censor me. Those value props don't change no matter what the price of Bitcoin is. So the price of Bitcoin is, is really interesting because it acts almost as a viral loop 
a viral loop is a growth marketing mechanism. It's a, for, for example, I tell my friend about a product and then they tell a friend about the product and then they tell a friend about the product. That's a viral loop because we are propagating the message and Bitcoin's price, it acts as that viral loop because as the price goes higher, people become aware of it and they buy in an expectation that the price is going to keep going higher. And so um, these previous market cycles have been largely just price driven, but this market cycle is both price driven, but high utility driven where all these institutions and retail traders across the world are going, how do I protect my value? How do I, my government just printed $5 trillion over the last couple of months. How do I, how do I preserve my value? And Bitcoin is very, very attractive in that, in that regard. Then of course it comes to the attention of regulators and they do start to try and restrict access to Bitcoin or certainly between exchanges and the banking system. And that's happened in Nigeria, for example, quite recently. And it's happened in China and Taiwan and other places, India, Pakistan. And some have tried to ban it outright or even partially, but that has never worked. It seems to be beyond the control of regulators right now. So Bitcoin is already very highly regulated by a lot of different agencies across the world, but they can only regulate money flowing in and out of Bitcoin. For example, my dollars to Bitcoin and my Bitcoin to dollars. They can, they can try to regulate that, but Bitcoin inherently isn't able to be regulated on the protocol level. That's what makes it so beautiful, is that it's beyond the control of governments. Now, a lot of people are concerned about, can governments try to kill Bitcoin or stop Bitcoin? And that's a really good question. And when we dig down into it, it's nearly impossible to do. Uh, we have a couple of real life examples outside of Bitcoin that would indicate that it is a near impossible task. Uh, one would be drug enforcement. As we've seen globally, drug enforcement is typically done very poorly. It has ultimately failed and there's no way that a government can ban things that people want. And drug usage is very popular in, in many different countries. Also, we have, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, what if all the governments come together to try to ban Bitcoin? Well, uh, all the governments in the world can't come together to solve climate change. So I very much doubt they can come together to solve Bitcoin. And even if they tried to come together to all ban Bitcoin simultaneously, they would have to trust one another. And that's just not going to happen between China, Russia and the US and Europe. Um, there's no way they're all going to trust each other. And the incentive for one of them to be a confederate and, and back their fiat by Bitcoin would be huge. So there's a whole spectrum of different game theoretic scenarios of how governments could attack or hurt Bitcoin. The ones I just covered, I think, are the more extreme versions, you know, trying to ban it uh, globally. What a more likely scenario is, is that, you know, they've got a bunch of wealthy people who own Bitcoin <laughs> and they would be much better off if they just tax them and normally. Right now, there's no special tax for Bitcoin. I think they would go down. I think it would be a big mistake, though, if they created a special type of tax for Bitcoin. Given Bitcoin's digital nature, <laughs> its immutability, I don't think there'd be a lot of compliance there if they started to attack on special taxes for Bitcoin. But I certainly think, and, and by the way, I'm not advocating for folks uh, to, to do anything that would be, you know, not in compliance with their local tax authority. But, you know, I think that's probably the more likely scenario is just a, you know, in the United States, Bitcoin is, is taxed like other investments. So, well, it's technically taxed as property, but that's what I mean by other investments. And so I, I think that's the more likely scenario is they see Bitcoiners as a, a new revenue driver and just tax them like they would anyone else. Are they not also talking about using Bitcoin or it's almost like an experiment, a taxation experiment, where I think in the United States they're talking about taxing unrealized gains uh, on, on Bitcoin. Has that come up at all? 
Yeah, so that's that's an interesting conversation. Unrealized gains have only been floated around, but I don't think they're serious proposals. Um, it would be very anti-American to have tax unrealized gains. It's a very rare thing to do anywhere in the world. I believe France tried it and it failed. And if the U.S. wants to remain competitive on the global landscape, they wouldn't do it. Um, it's been brought up very, very briefly. I think it's more of a bargaining sort of tactic done by the Democratic Party. Um, but yeah, that's a tax that I would say would be a very unlikely that, you know, first of all, that, that you can do that effectively because you have to go basically audit every single wealthy person every year <laughs> because they've got a whole bunch of liquid and illiquid investments and valuing those is difficult. So like the IRS would have to have an army of appraisers plus auditors and they would have to audit every millionaire American every single year. I just find that extremely unlikely and that. You know, also with, with Bitcoin's digital nature and just, you know, depending on how you've purchased it, it would be extremely difficult to, you know, one, figure that out and two, enforce it. So I think the unrealized capital gains is an abomination as a tax. I think that's that's like truly we've gone down the socialist rabbit hole. And I think Bitcoin was built to, you know, resist against that. But, um, yeah, I don't think that's a serious proposal in the U.S., but certainly might be talked about more seriously in other countries. Just changing tack here a little bit, the, the crypto uptake in Africa is huge, especially in countries like South Africa and Nigeria. And it seems to thrive whenever fiat currencies are devalued at rates of 10 to 25 percent a year, such as we've seen in Nigeria. Uh, there's also a hefty premium for Bitcoin in places like Nigeria, recently as much as 50 percent. How does Bitcoin help in assisting this, this African emergence? We're talking about this renaissance in Africa, and it does seem the adoption rate is phenomenal in Africa. And, and it could actually, rather like the smartphone technology helps build communications at a much faster rate than you could with the old copper wire systems, it seems that blockchain technology and Bitcoin could assist in there. What, what's your take on that and how could it help Africa? Yeah, great question. So, yeah, that was a good example. We've often used that in the crypto space that you can kind of skip over the landline infrastructure and just go purely wireless. And so Bitcoin does the same thing, but with the financial infrastructure. I definitely am really excited to see what Bitcoin does in Africa. I think it has so much potential to totally build like a new backbone of the financial system. You know, I think some of the that is the positive side. I think some of the limiting sides of Bitcoin would be it's a little technical to use. Um, there's not a lot of forgiveness with it. You know, for example, like if you send Bitcoin to the wrong address, it's not recoverable. <laughs> right. um, so there's there's some user experience things that need to be polished, I think, before it's ready for mainstream, but certainly there's there's groups of individuals who are using it to solve a problem they have today, even though it's a little bit more technical to use. So yeah, I definitely believe that in these, I would say more, you know, like you know, Africa and Latin, there's a big opportunity for Bitcoin to maybe become the world, become the reserve currency in that region uh, where yes, it's volatile, but countries like Argentina, that annualized volatility is higher than Bitcoin for the peso. So, you know, we think that Bitcoin is volatile, but that's a relative reference. And, um, you know, so I think we'll start to see bigger adoption and penetration in those markets where uh, folks need a good way to preserve value. And then once they start to preserve their value in Bitcoin, like a gold 2.0, eventually enough of them are storing value and it's where they want. And then they'll want to transact with each other. So opening up use cases like merchant payments or peer to peer payments. I think that's a little ways off. Uh, so. It's 
Bitcoin's core value prop today is, is as a protection against government money printing operations, which would dilute the value of your fiat currency. Um, so, yeah, I think we've got a little ways to go. Some of this is a network effect play. Um, but I think for Africa, yeah, you're totally right. This is a, a leap forward where, you know, a lot of the Western countries have different, much more developed financial infrastructures. And this is a good way where this is a way just to, to you know, take a giant leap forward. Okay, you've called yourself a Bitcoin minimalist, and you're not a big believer in these thousands of altcoins that have emerged uh, in decentralized finance. You don't seem to be a great enthusiast about that. Why is that? Yeah, so I've been around a long, long time in crypto. I, uh, I feel like an old man at 33. It's kind of crazy. I mean, I've seen my net worth go up exponentially three times and then drop 80% three times. So, you know, it takes a, it takes a mental toll on someone. And in the meantime, you've got all these other narratives, all these other coins that are really, really interesting, right? Like, I'm not a, I think every Bitcoin maximalist has played around with altcoins. So I, I, I mined a coin called Prime Coin. Prime coin found prime numbers with proof of work because I was like, oh, maybe proof of work can do something useful. <laughs> but then I realized I'm like, wait, proof of work is already doing something pretty useful for Bitcoin. You know, but these were discoveries and different journeys that every Bitcoiner goes down experimenting and trying other things. You know, Litecoin I was attracted to as well back in the day. Uh, same with Ethereum early on. I thought that was interesting. Well, Ethereum was actually pretty controversial because it had a pre-mine. Pre-mines were considered very unsavory back in the 2014-2015 era. Um, nowadays, it's very common, but back then, that was a very controversial thing to do in like a perceived um, ethical perspective. So, you know, it, it was interesting to see how these all came and went. But, you know, I've seen 10,000 alts come and go. I've seen a lot. And and so a lot of them choose different narratives, faster than Bitcoin, higher transactions per Bitcoin, smart contracts. All these sort of, it's like a Black-Scholes. Uh, Black-Scholes is a finance terminology to represent a random walk function. So kind of a, what are all the possible paths you could take? And with these altcoins, they've literally come, came up with every possible narrative possible and, and attached that to their, their altcoin. My first inclination is to be skeptical, just based on eight years and 10,000 alts coming and going. So that, that's that's where I come from, is, is mainly just a little bit of skepticism when they come up with claims like we can do this. Blockchain technology is not a general purpose tool. It's like a shovel. It's like a tank. They serve very specific functions. Blockchain, which was Satoshi design, was built to build Bitcoin. And so blockchain technology is very bad at doing almost everything. But there's a few things that it's probably it's good at. And one, we know, is Bitcoin. We hypothesize it might be good for other things as well. Um, but in, inherently, when these other coins come up with different value props of what they can do, like higher transactions per second, that typically means that they're sacrificing for something else, that they're sacrificing decentralization, which, which, which is what makes Bitcoin valuable in the first place. So I'm excited for people to experiment. I very much I think that's an encouraging sign to see people try it. Um, I'm just personally skeptical as to a better investment than, than Bitcoin. And I think you've tried a lot of things in the cryptos. I remember hearing you talking about trading. You did trading for a while. You've done mining. You've done it all, right? But you've come back to just holding, hodling, as they say, Bitcoin. Is that right? That's right. So these, you know, look, a lot of people are very successful at either of those activities. I wasn't. <laughs> I did those both very poorly. You know, I mined Prime Coin and kind of wasted my time mining and learning about that. With Litecoin, traded that a little bit. And, um, you know, with those... You know, it wasn't, I didn't make devastatingly poor trades, but I didn't make money, let's put it that way. 
And um, over the years, I've seen so many people come and go, and, and there's a survivorship bias of those who did well. And then you hear about those, but you don't hear about everyone who didn't do well. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to build out trading infrastructure. I mean, that's what we do at Kraken. And I think everyone deserves the right to go speculate as they see fit and, and purchase whatever asset they'd like. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's um, there's a lot of professionals out there. So if you're not a professional, a good way to get exposure to Bitcoin is buying and hodling. It's actually much more difficult than people imagine, too. <laughs> a lot of people think hodling is easy. It, it's not because you're going to be tempted by other altcoins or you're going to hear FUD from a government. FUD stands for fear, uncertainty and doubt. So you're going to hear stories like, oh, Bitcoin could be killed by quantum mining or Bitcoin could be killed by governments and you might panic sell. So hodling is actually a really hard activity to do, even though it sounds easy. Um, and it's, it's a great strategy. I mean, hodling, you know, Bitcoin is so volatile. It's just really hard to pick those tops and bottoms. And the market trades 24-7. I mean, there's no, there's, it does not turn off. So unlike traditional equities, you can't go to sleep on Friday and Saturday night if you're actively trading. <laughs> the market's actively moving all, at all times, which I think makes it extra intense. Right. Just talk about Kraken for a minute because, um, I, I mean, full disclosure, I am a customer of Kraken as well. I remember signing up in 2017 and, and it took forever to open an account and then sometimes to execute a trade. You, you had a very clunky trading platform back then. It has changed. I mean, it's absolutely marvelous right now. But what's the rate of adoption been like over the last six months? Say? It's been thrilling. I mean, absolutely thrilling. So my job at Kraken, so my growth role, what that stands for is I do user acquisition. So that means folks searching for what is Bitcoin. I try to make sure that our SEO has been um, created properly in order to surface it highly in search results. We do paid acquisition as well. That's like ads on Google, Facebook, et cetera. So our numbers are incredible. I mean, when we, it's for a person in this position as leading growth at Kraken, it's incredibly exciting. And when I crafted out this role about eight months ago, I was hoping that a bull run would occur because it would be an incredible experience. I experienced something very similar at Uber in the 2016 and 2017 era. So, I think that, um, you know, this is an incredibly thrilling time for us where we're seeing metrics and this is public information. You know, we see metrics 5x or 10x in a month. I mean, that's just, that's just wild to see. You don't see that sort of, you, you might see 30% in a month, but not 5x or 10x. I mean, that's just bananas. <laughs> what do you mean 5x or 10x? Is that in terms of the volumes and customer sign up or all of those? Yeah, that, that's in terms of like customer signups and volume. You know, we're seeing, uh, which, by the way, our volume metrics are public. So folks, go check this out yourself. Um, Coinbase and other exchanges are similarly seeing the same um, upswelling of intensity. So, yeah, that I mean, and then, as you know, and, and based on Coinbase's IPO numbers, you know, volume is directionally correlated with revenue. So obviously that's a huge, you know, revenue uh, greatly appreciates. Um, but, yeah, new user acquisition, those are in the 5 to 10x range as well, which is just crazy to see. Um, and, you know. What we'll probably see by the end of this bull run is we see a multiplier of even those where, you know, from the beginning, we might have a 20x or 30x uh, increase in signups. I'm not saying that that will happen. I'm saying in the, if the bull run continues and things become frothier and more volatile, more people want to come buy Bitcoin, then I could definitely see our metrics from the beginning of this to the end, multiplying it, you know, being at a huge, huge exponential gain. So it's it's absolutely wild inside of an exchange during a bull, bull run. We're just trying to make sure that 
we're keeping everything on. You know, when we get a surge of new customers, which some, we can't predict when that's going to happen, that we're ready to catch all those new customers and get them into the product and show them how Kraken can help them buy Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency. So I think, um, you know, it, it's, a, <laughs> it's a pretty thrilling spot to be in. I think for some people, it might be overly stressful, but for uh, folks who like to be kind of, um, you know, thrown into the wild river, it's, it's, a, it's a fun experience. It's fascinating. It, it does kind of correlate with the exchanges we have here in South Africa. We're hearing similar kind of figures come out of them, what has been the rate of adoption in the last uh, six months in particular. But, I mean, if you look sort of five, ten years down the road, what are the number of people who own at the moment? The last figure I read was just a little over 100 million. I mean, it's a small fraction of the, of the total global population, right? Yeah, the total global population is around 7.7 .7 billion. And so, yeah, 100 million, we are just in the early adopter phase of, of Bitcoin. Bitcoin has far, far uh, longer to go before it becomes a globally recognized uh, gold 2.0 or store value asset. So a lot of people think, man, Bitcoin is at $60,000 a Bitcoin. I'm late. You're not. You're actually still early. It, it's uh, Bitcoin's market capitalization is around $1 trillion. Now, a trillion sounds like a lot of money, and it certainly is. But when we look at other assets that it competes with, it's actually very undervalued. So gold is worth 10 trillion. All the fiat money in the world, government money, is worth 60 trillion. You've got uh, 13 billion dollars or 13 trillion dollars of sovereign debt. So sovereign debt is government debt that is negatively yielding. Negatively yielding means that the the lender pays the borrower to borrow from them, which is <laughs> which is insane. Right. That has never occurred in human history, other than in this moment. Um, due to the crazy distortions that central banks have done to the economy. So, and then also real estate, right? Like real estate's a $250 trillion market. Uh, now in London and in, in Paris and San Francisco and New York, many of those apartments there and homes are empty. They're simply used to park wealth. And so Bitcoin competes with all of those. And that's where I think Bitcoin at a trillion dollar market cap is just now being recognized as a global store of value gold 2.0 asset, but it is not yet globally recognized as the store of value asset or as a very legitimate store of value asset. So it's, it's, it's very much on that exponential curve though, where over the last three months, seeing all the institutions put their name behind Bitcoin has been incredible, just because most of the time they, they widely disregarded it as funny money. And now they're all like, no, this is legitimately gold 2.0. So that's that's been thrilling. Yeah, I mean, Michael Saylor of MicroStrategy and, and Ross Stevens of Stonebridge, they made a very convincing case for shifting treasury cash into Bitcoin. And that's based on the historical decay of the U.S. dollar. And I think uh, uh, Ross Stevens was saying it's depreciated at 3.4% per year. Now, I looked at that in South Africa. Our rate of depreciation is 8% per year. So there's even a stronger case for doing that in countries like South Africa. And of course, if you look across the continent, you mentioned Argentina, Nigeria, where you've, you've got even faster rates of depreciation. Do you think this is something that, you know, CFOs, chief financial officers, finance executives are starting to look at? And maybe if they're not, are they being irresponsible for not looking at it? Yeah, they, they are very, they would be irresponsible not to take a serious look at Bitcoin, even if they do and they don't find it applicable for them. I think it's insane if they didn't. Um, they have a fiduciary responsibility to, if they have a large cash balance, to make sure that that cash balance has been allocated into a wide variety of diverse investments. Bitcoin is an asset like any other asset and should be widely regarded as a way to improve your Sharpe ratio in your portfolio. Um, Sharpe ratio is essentially your return per unit of risk. 
So when you add Bitcoin to your portfolio, the outcomes are, are very, you know, it's volatile, right? But the returns are also very asymmetric. It's either a large loss or a large gain. And so when, you know, when you add that to your portfolio, it's a good way to hedge against, you know, money printing operations by governments. So keeping, keeping your treasury in dollars is, is kind of nuts because that, that's going to lose so much of its purchasing power over time that it needs to be parked in an asset that's going to be inflation protected. And Bitcoin is one of those. Uh, but Bitcoin, in addition to having inflation protection, is also a really, you know, it's an up and coming store of value asset. So there's a lot of appreciation to be gained there. Yeah, Bitcoin should be regarded as the gold, the bond, the cash in these company reserves. And so if they don't think about allocating at least a small percentage, I think that would be negligent. Um, and it looks like a lot of them are, are very actively considering it. You know, MicroStrategy was a big one. Tesla was huge. Elon Musk is probably the most popular tech CEO in the world. And for him to advocate for Bitcoin to put it on Tesla's balance sheet definitely made a big splash. That very much legitimized that this is a this is a way to um, diversify your cash and cash equivalent holdings at a big corporation. So I think we're going to see a lot more announcements happen over the next couple of months of companies that have bought Bitcoin and put it on their balance sheet. You told Cointelegraph, I think, that 90% of your net worth is in Bitcoin. Now, you've tried all these other things. You've tried trading. You've tried mining. You've tried altcoins. But you've, you've gone back to the mother load, which is Bitcoin itself. Um, just explain, you know, why that is. And for somebody who's new and who hasn't uh, invested in, in Bitcoin, they get confused with uh, all of the options that are available to them. I'm not asking you for financial advice, but why have you chosen this route? Yeah, the, think about it this way. There's Bitcoin and then there's everything else. So Bitcoin is the blockchain technology was special purpose built to build Bitcoin. Bitcoin has the strongest product market fit in the space as a goal 2.0. Many of the other ones are extremely speculative. They claim that they solve a certain problem, but when you look at the on-chain metrics, they don't solve the problem at all. All that's occurring with the price is that people are speculating that it will solve a problem in the future. Bitcoin currently solves the problem of storing value. Storing value is the largest total addressable market, TAM, in the world. Hundreds of trillions of dollars are used or parked in store of value assets. Bitcoin should eat some of that. So. You know, you could find an altcoin that will outperform Bitcoin in the short term, but it's very unlikely you'll find an altcoin that outperforms Bitcoin in the long term. That's where buying Bitcoin and hodling is probably your highest return per unit of risk. It's the, the risk you take with altcoins is much higher, but there is a chance that the return is higher. With Bitcoin, it is going to win its category of store of value, and it is very much tracking along that path to where, you know, for Bitcoin to die or for Bitcoin to fail at this point, I would find very implausible. Um, it, in the beginning, it was much more plausible. But now I think we're on such a trajectory that Bitcoin being a gold 2.0 is almost set in stone or or set in a digital ledger by now. So I think, um, you know, out of all the other assets, Bitcoin is going to be your safest bet and still give you a phenomenal return. Um, Bitcoin, if we look at historical cycles, might go up 6x to 10x from here, which, you know, I think that, and that's, I think, uh, the more moderate conservative side. Uh, it sounds pretty wild to say that, but that's how Bitcoin has previously okay. performed. All right. So let me, let me translate that for South African listeners. Okay. So the Bitcoin is today trading at about 910,000 Rand. Back in uh, December 2017, when it broke 200,000, we thought this, the world had gone nuts. And then it hit briefly 300,000 Rand. And of course, it dropped all the way back down to about uh, 
uh, 60,000. And now it's, it's up at 910,000, about to, I would say, crack 1 million. So if you're saying, uh, what did you say? Was it six or eight to 10 times from here you, you think it could go? Yeah, if we look at historical cycles, six times the current price would be where we go. Um, but then we could see something very much like 10x from here. 10 million rand. That, that would be interesting for South Africans, you know, who are asking, this is just so expensive, you know, is it hardly worth getting into? But uh, that, that's that's interesting. That was going to be my final question. You know, where do you put Bitcoin at the end of the cycle? I might just draw a parallel there. They're, they're also talking about the uh, precious metals being in a super cycle as well that began in the early 2000s, was interrupted by the 2008 market crash and is now resuming. So you're seeing platinum and rhodium and these uh, these precious metals that are produced in South Africa going, except for gold, by the way, which, which is not there yet. But uh, a lot of these other commodities are really shooting for the stars. And you know, and they're predicting that this could go on for only five years. I don't know if one could quite compare Bitcoin to that, but there, there is a fundamental realignment of the of the world financial system here. And when you talk about these these trillions of dollars that are being printed, that's that's going to have people, uh, you know, they, they're going to lose wealth unless they do something to protect it, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, we are facing an unprecedented time period where governments across the world are printing trillions of dollars on a weekly basis in dollar equivalent. Um, Literally never in history has this occurred. Deutsche Bank wrote a report called A Journey into the Unknown, a long-term asset management study. They looked at 800 years of financial and we have never seen governments print this much money ever, all at the same time. So it's pretty intuitive of what's going to happen here. And what's going to happen is that the government currencies will lose value and humans across the world will search for ways to store their wealth somewhere that's going to be protected. Fascinating stuff, Dan. Thanks very much for joining us on Money Web Crypto. We'd love to have you back on again, uh, catch up in the course of the year and just see how things, first of all, are going at Kraken and then uh, see where we are in the super cycle. Sounds good. Well, uh, and then the next three to six months should be very interesting. So hopefully we have a chat here and I think in six months it'd be, be fun to catch up and <laughs> see what happens with Bitcoin. Great. Thanks so much. That was Dan Held, who is growth lead at Kraken. for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.